Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Some of us have served the Lord, and I I still find it amazing that he could care about what's happening in a church outside of Mankato here on a random Wednesday, and God just shows up, heals and touches and answers prayer, builds us up, strengthens us, encourages us. He truly cares about His people. He truly cares about all people. Amen. What a wonderful God we serve. Thank you for being faithful to the house of the Lord tonight. What a wonderful thing that is to do. And uh, what a great testimony it is to share that uh, our God is worth. He's worth us showing up. Amen. We're in the Fruit of the Spirit series. We're going to go to our key verse, of course, in Galatians 5, two verses, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Have you enjoyed this series so far? Amen. I think it's important, and uh, that we understand this is a this this is a vital part of what it means to be a Christian. Understanding what the fruit of the Spirit is and how it is applied into our life is a key element. Amen. It's a very powerful thing. Something to notice about Galatians five when he speaks earlier about the works of the flesh are manifest. That word manifest means they are apparent. The works of the flesh are apparent. The works of the flesh are known. No matter what we choose to say or believe or attempt to get other people to believe, everyone knows sinful behavior. Everyone just doesn't care. Everyone may not even call it sin. But there is something within all created humanity that can see and understand, that can feel even to a degree, though that may wear off the the longer they spend in a life of sin. It is manifest. The sins of this world are manifest. And that's important because as soon as there is nothing to to govern our behavior or nothing to govern what we do with our lives or what we do with our bodies, as soon as it's just our choice to behave in any way or fashion that we want to behave in, we put ourselves in a tragic situation. Because once a generation does that, the next generation will rise and live lives that have devastating consequences. But the tragedy is, is that they will not have been taught that there is any other way. 
There is a generation that chooses sin, that knows the manifestation of sin and chooses and says, I don't care because I can do whatever I want. And that generation gets to celebrate that idea that we are free to do whatever we want with our lives, with our bodies, with our actions, and negate the truth that it is sin and unrighteousness and that there is a consequence for that. And while they get to celebrate that, and pretend as if there are no consequences, they're neglecting to understand that the generation coming up behind them is not gonna know that there's actually another way to live your life, that the consequences are not just the way life is. Amen. We have too many people in our society today that are living in the damning consequences of sin and they don't even know that it's consequences. They just think it's life. Amen. And so, I've stated it before that he mentions the works of the flesh and he gives a list, but he finishes the list by saying, and such like. It's not an all-inclusive list. It's the, the beginnings of the list. It's the ideas of a list of the works of the flesh. But the list of the fruit of the Spirit is a little different. First of all, it's a much shorter list than what he does with the works of the flesh. The reason why it's shorter is because when you follow the Spirit, as we heard recently in a revival service, the road gets straighter and narrower. Amen. And so the list gets shorter. The list of possibilities gets shorter. And in most times, people might think that's a bad thing. But in this case, it's a wonderful thing. The list of possibilities, when I am involving myself in the fruits of the Spirit, the list of other things that I can mess my life up with gets smaller. The list of other things that can take me out. The list of other weapons that can take me out. The list of other things that can become negative influencers in my life gets smaller because now I am focusing myself on these fruits of the Spirit. And focus is a good thing. Amen. And so uh, uh, human sin is more complex than human goodness is. Much more complex. It's actually a much simpler life to serve the Lord. It's much easier. It's much simpler. And so we, we see that and we need to understand that. Now he says, Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, this is later, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now there's a lot of, you could take that verse and you could say the key word is, and you could pick a lot of the words there and teach a whole series on that. But one of the key words is the first word, if. Everybody say if. Yeah. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is, this is where we separate the contenders from the pretenders. This is uh, where we find those that have the power to contend for the faith and with their faith from those who are still operating in the flesh. He says, if 
you live in the Spirit, then walk. Live your life every day in the Spirit. I mentioned it last week at the end that the fruit of the Spirit is a sort of checkup list for those who claim to have the Holy Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit or that phrase fruit of the Spirit actually uh, means due to the operation of the Spirit. It is due to the operation of the Spirit in my life that I can understand and have love. It is due to the operation of the Spirit in my life that I can understand and have joy. Everybody with me? And so uh, if we are not operating in these areas, we need to find out why. If, if we are not known by others to have these fruits evident in our lives, why not? Why do they not see us as having meekness? Why do they not see us as having goodness or gentleness? If, if that is not something that is evident in our lives, we need to quickly find out why, because it should be for anyone who has the Spirit of God. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Because the fruit is a clear demonstration of the nature of the tree upon which it grew. That's what it is. It's a demonstration of the nature of the tree. We grow upon Christ. The Holy Spirit in us is what produces it in us. The nature of the Spirit of God is found in this list. When you are talking about the fruits of the Spirit, you are talking about the nature of God. But he says it should be your nature and my nature too. So it is not a divine nature. It is a nature of God, but it is not a divine nature because you and I can also partake in it. But we cannot do it in the flesh. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't do it in the flesh. Now, some people like to put a lot of attention on the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm all about the gifts of the Spirit. I love the gifts of the Spirit. What? Once again, like the fruit of the Spirit, you cannot operate in the gifts of the Spirit without the Spirit. So just like I can't have and understand real love or have joy or meekness or temper, any of these things, without the Holy Spirit in my life, I cannot fully understand them. I also cannot operate in the gifts of the Spirit without having the Holy Spirit. But some people love to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but they don't necessarily talk too much about the fruits of the Spirit. But I need you to think about it this way. While, while the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, they are about what we do with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is about who we are. Gifts of the Spirit are about what I can do. Fruit of the Spirit is about who I am. And why is that uh, necessary to point that out? Because even once I have the Holy Spirit in my life, no matter what my activity is with the gifts of the Spirit, 
whether or not I can lay hands on people and they recover. No matter what my activity is with the gifts of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit that greater determines my eternal destination. The fruit of the Spirit is actually more important to whether I go to heaven or not. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and never be used in the interpretation of tongues. And though I've never been used in the interpretation of tongues, that has nothing to do with whether or not I go to heaven. But the fruit of the Spirit is necessary because that is evidence that the Spirit is still active within me. Amen? Amen. Now, tonight I'm tasked with three fruits of the Spirit, and I'm going to do my best because there's no, there's no makeup nights. Everybody say gentleness. gentleness. Often referred to as kindness, but I think we need to make that a little bit more specific. We need to flesh it out a little bit more, get a better understanding. It's connected a lot to the previous fruit, which is patience. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, it says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 6, it says, By pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness. We reflect our God in, in this way in Ephesians 4:32. And ye and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So we find this connection to forgiveness and our forgiveness. We are reminded that we've been forgiven. Has anybody in here been forgiven? Yeah. Amen. We're reminded that we've been forgiven. And we're reminded that because we've been forgiven, there's a kindness that should exist in us. This is why uh, people really struggle with uh, a haughty Christian. Haughty, prideful Christianity is, is not, it's, it's really not possible. You can't actually be haughty and prideful and Christian at the same time. It's not a possibility. And that's why people struggle when they come across people who represent themselves as some sort of superior, holier than now, better. Because it's, it's a false representation. We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. And therefore, we, that should produce the opposite in us. It should produce a kindness towards others. Be ye kind one to another. Be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. Amen. There's, there's no room when somebody falls or makes a mistake or gets tripped up or falls for a deception. There's no room. For in Christianity to, 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 to get uh, uh, mean about that or to, to, to get uh, some sort of attitude about that or to discount them or to cast them off. There's no room for that. There's no room because we have to be kind one to another and tenderhearted and forgive. Forgive. Why? Because 
we've been forgiven. It's, it is a mistake to miss this attribute in God and, and, and for it to be void in our lives. Look at Romans 2, 3 and 4. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? You think that you can judge other people for their sins and you're also sinning and somehow you're going to just, like, God's not going to see that? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and lost suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? This, this word gentleness, there's a, there's a moral excellence built into it. But don't get thrown by the word excellence. It's not a superiority. It's a moral excellence. A moral excellence means you got to be really good at being humble. But you can't ever tell anybody how good you are. <laughs> right? Moral excellence. Uh, the, the definition, uh, it, it often includes the word uh, benignity, benignity, which speaks of doing good deeds or favors for others. It's, it's tenderness, this word gentleness. It's tenderness. It's, it's humane. It's compassionate. It's charity. This word, this word gentleness includes a level of tolerance for those around you. Are we getting the, the broader picture now of what gentleness means? I used to tell people, I used to tell young people who were pursuing ministry, uh, I used to say, if you don't love people, then don't pursue ministry. If you don't love people, don't pursue ministry. There's no room for people in ministry who don't love people. But I revised that now. Now I would say this to anyone who calls himself a Christian. If you don't love people, then you should pursue an altar. Not just people who are pursuing ministry. If, if you call yourself a Christian and you don't love people, you need to pray through it. Our, our world has become very abrupt. It's very bold. It's very loud. It's very abrasive. It's very stingy. It's very cold. That is the outcome of sinful living and sinful pursuits. That's what the works of the flesh give you every time. It, it almost seems, this is, when I was working on this, this hit me, and, and, and I thought, it's probably just me. Um, but for me, it almost seems as if gentleness has become solely connected with elderly people. And I, and I, I, I you know, I was like, that's probably just me, you know, whatever. So I, you know, I did, you know, the, uh, typed it into Google. Just thought, you know, is there anyone in the entire world who's ever had this thought? Um, and, and what I found was is that, that some would say that it's through life's experiences that teaches people kindness. That the longer you live and the more you see and the more you go through and the more you fail, the more you fall, the more you need other people to help you, it produces a kindness in you. And, and I, I see that, and, and, I, and I get that. Here's my problem, that, 
the Bible is teaching us here that we are, we're not constrained to have gentleness only later in life. In fact, that's really not even supposed to be an option. We have access to gentleness through the Holy Spirit right now. Amen. Now, I understand that it, God in his wisdom and his things sometimes fills six, seven, eight-year-old kids uh, with the Holy Ghost, you know, and they speak in tongues and cry, and it's beautiful, whatever, and then they're in the parking lot after church, and they intentionally throw a ball and hit somebody in the face. I get it. I'm not saying that somehow that they just, you know, immediately superhuman whatever. But what I am saying is, is that if I am filled with the Spirit, it doesn't matter how old I am. It doesn't matter my life experiences. It doesn't matter if I've had enough falls that I, I don't need my life's activity to produce kindness in me. I have the Spirit producing kindness in me. I don't need years and years and years to learn how to be kind. I have a teacher in me teaching me right now how to be kind. And so I'm taking away that excuse, possibly even from myself. I'm taking away that excuse that says, I'll be kind when I'm... I didn't say an age there. You see that? It's wisdom. I'll be kind when I'm 110. I'll be kind. No, I'm taking that excuse away. He's, the, the word of God is taking that excuse away. It's saying that kindness might be something that you may learn if you, have, you live long enough for other people, but for people who are filled with the Spirit of God, kindness is something that you should be learning how to be right now. Amen. Gentleness may be the fruit of that demands the most of us because it means taking a position where we place ourselves third on the list. We put God and others before ourselves. So in, because of that alone and because of how we all know our humanity, that it may be one of the most challenging fruits of the Spirit because it requires that I put myself in third place. Amen. That I learn how to prefer others above myself. But of course, we see this all over Christ. Look at Philippians 2, 1 through 8. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. 
We're walking around with God inside of us. We are not God. We don't claim to be God. But we have God inside of us. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You may not find a more contrary scripture to life in our current culture than the one we just read. Or at least in the loudest voices of our culture today. But there it is. There it is. And we are called to be like him. We are called to emulate that. To live that out in our lives. You say, well, what is the benefit? What is the, where's the reward? Well, look at the next two verses. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Gentleness is not just make yourself a, you know, a, a mat that people wipe their feet on. No. But it is an intentional way of living your life that is directed by the Spirit of God inside of us that's got humility and concern and compassion and tolerance built into it. Amen? Gentleness allows us to truly impact others. When we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we were called to be witnesses, right? Everybody say witnesses. We were called to be witnesses. This means effectively reaching lost people. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Sin's deception and manipulation has people in snares, it says. They are captive in snares. The Bible says, though, they can re cover themselves, but what do they need? They need instruction, but not just instruction. They need gentle instruction. They are in a snare of sin. Yes, that's apparent. Yes, it's manifest. Yes, we can see it. Yes. We don't maybe understand it. We think, why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense. All of that. We have instruction. We can give them direction. We have things we can tell them. We can help them. That's all good. But you have to do it in gentleness. It has to be done in gentleness. I was thinking about that verse, and this illustration came into my mind. Have you ever... Uh, I've only seen it a couple times. Maybe you've never seen it. Maybe you've seen it, YouTube video or something. 
an animal that gets caught in a trap. And someone's trying to release it from the trap. It's got paw in a trap. It's got his foot in a trap. They are never just laying there, chilling out. I'm good. Oh, you want to help me out here? That's kind of you. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. They're going nuts. They're frantic. They're trying to kill the person that's trying to let them out. They're scratching and clawing and screaming. They're going nuts because why? Because they're in pain and because they're afraid. Right? And it can be perceived as that they really want to hurt the person who's trying to free them. But they really do want to be free. So why are they attacking the person who's trying to free them? The reason is because they don't know that that's not the one who set the trap. They don't know. You come across an animal caught in a trap and you decide I'm going to try to get it out of that trap. For all they know, you set the trap. For all they know, you're about to make it worse. What they feel is very vulnerable. What they feel is very afraid on top of great pain that they are in because they're in this trap. I want you to think about that. The next time you see someone trapped in a sinful snare and you want to give them instruction on how to help them, you can and you should. You just have to be gentle. You just have to be gentle. It leads us to a very complimentary next fruit. Just goodness. Everybody say goodness. goodness. Used in this context, it is connected to beneficence, which is charity or kindness or being neighborly. Everybody say being neighborly. It's, it's doing good, but, it's, but more than doing good, it's being good. Now, that's important to differentiate that because doing good can be purely motive-driven and situational, right? Some people can just be good in the moment because it benefits them to be good in the moment. The situation calls for them to be good in the moment. They are rewarded by being good in the moment. This is the co-worker that mocks and ridicules and slanders the boss until the boss walks in the room. And then they're like, good to see you, Bob. Like that tie. You lose weight. You're doing great. And then the boss walks out of the room and it's right back. That's situational goodness. It's not real. It's not real. But being good requires consistent and daily life choices that decide who you are as a person. 
There's a sense of this word goodness here. There's a sense of active benevolence, which is well-meaning with good intentions toward others. Now, God is said to know us completely, right? He knows us completely, including Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Or made known. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Our goodness is known by God and will be judged by God alone. Amen. Now let that help you out next time. That that same co-worker who does that when the boss is not around gets the promotion and the raise. When that happens, don't bang your head against the wall. Just trust in the Lord. (laughs) But understand, that's not the way God tells us to receive blessings and favor in our life. Because our goodness, if I'm really a good person, God knows that. Whether anyone else knows it or not, God knows knows that. I got to tell you, I have a lot of pastor friends, a lot of ministry friends, missionary friends, and and we are living in an age where um, it's just, you know, there are people that are just living their whole lives trying to take down ministries and take down pastors and take down evangelists, take down churches and you know, the, the best way to take down a church is to attack the, the, the pastor or the leadership or whatever. And there are websites entirely dedicated now to putting this stuff out there. The problem is, is they're not regulated. The problem is, is that they can say whatever they want to say. And we are living in a society that if you rebut them, it's worse. If you comment, it's worse. If you fight for your character, it's worse. If you sue them for libel, it's worse. Anything you do just makes it worse. Because, as I was talking to one ministry friend earlier this week, another, another friend that dealing with somebody just decided, I want to make your life miserable. There are people who operate in truth and who care about operating in truth and they care about the fact that God knows that we're operating in truth, and then there are people who don't care about truth at all. And so when you try to operate in truth with people who could care less about truth, you cannot win in the flesh. You cannot win because everything you do or say can be twisted, manipulated, taken back, or they can just make stuff up. And people who want to believe that kind of stuff will believe it. And people who say, no, that, no way, that, I, 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 you're going to have to give me some evidence, they're not going to believe it. 
But that's all you can do is trust that God knows your good. Amen. Amen. That's a unique time to live in, isn't it? But that's not, not just ministry. That's a lot of things in our life today. That's doctors and lawyers and police officers. That's school teachers and all kinds of stuff. But it's, you have to know your goodness can stand. Not in the court of public opinion, but in the, before the judgment seat. Goodness. And, and we see that whether we mean well and whether we have good intentions is known by God. I can't tell you as a pastor the number of times that somebody has, has uh, come to me and, and they said, you know, pastor, I, I, got, I, I said something to so-and-so and, and they got mad at me and I was just trying to help. I, I, I meant well. I had good intentions and I believed them. They meant well and they had good intentions, but it, it wasn't taken right. It wasn't received. And all you can say in a situation like that is, is that God knows. God knows. Goodness is seen in a willingness to help and to help without expectation. It is like all the fruits built upon love. God illustrates it for us in Psalm 107, 1 through 9. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Right? For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why don't somebody just go ahead and say so right now? Is the Lord good? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. Has anybody ever been there? They cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, and that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his. So all of that that it just said there, give him praise for his goodness. And then it, it tells all of the things that he did. And then it says, oh, that men would praise him for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. So we find this verse several more times in the same chapter. It's repeated, which is intentionally meant to get our attention. Psalm 107, 8, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 107, 15, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 107, 21, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 107, 31, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And so, what he did for you. Lost, wandering, thirsty, homeless, helpless, 
helpless. He says, once I fill you with my spirit, you should have goodness. You should also want to go to them that are lost, helpless, hopeless, thirsty, homeless, struggling. You should also now want to lead them, help them, love them. Why? Because you have his goodness. Amen. The fruits of the Spirit get challenging the more you dig into them, don't they? He's not saying, hey, you get the Holy Ghost and you get a little goodness too. That's great. We'll throw a little goodness in there just for you. No. He's saying you get the Holy Spirit, you can operate in goodness. You can show forth goodness. You can live out goodness in your life. One form of praise unto God for his goodness is for us to live it out. To imitate Christ in this world. Everybody say goodness. Now, let's talk about faith. One commentator said, Faith is here regarded not as the means of salvation or as the instrument of our justification, but as the principle of Christian life, which controls and guides our life. Paul reminds them that it was by faith that they first encountered Christ, that it was by faith that they were able to respond to the moving of the Spirit, that it was by faith that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So we, had, we need to think about that because that, they had to have faith. Their faith had to be in them first to even, before they even got the Holy Spirit. So when the fruit of the Spirit starts talking about faith, then it can't be talking about faith in that exact same way because then they would have already had that fruit before they had the Spirit. So it can't be talking about it from that same exact thing, but the beauty about faith is that it is powerfully broad. Faith is not then left behind. It's not something that I have initially to get me to Christ and then I no longer need faith anymore. It's not something that I have so that I can be filled with the Spirit, but then I no longer need faith anymore because it is a fruit of the Spirit. So it's not left behind, but it is a central figure of a life lived for Christ. And this word faith enters more into the area of faithfulness. Faithfulness in this context. Stability. Steadiness. True to your word. Trustworthy. Loyal dedicated to the cause of Christ. That's the context of this faithfulness, this faith we find here. In this sense, we see its, its, its greater necessity is entwined with the other fruit of the Spirit. We are called to faithfully live out love, joy, peace, long-suffering, right? 
We are called to faithfully live out our faith. So this element of faith is something more that comes in. It's, it's more than what we had to get to Christ. It's more now that comes in because it is supportive of all of the other fruits of the Spirit. Faith is not intangible. We get confused sometimes because we, we think of faith in, in one way. We, we think of it in the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. And because we think of faith in that one way too often, we can miss that it's actually, it's not intangible in the sense of, it, it's not just purely spiritual or something that's only visible to God. In fact, we are called to show it to others, to exemplify it. In 1 Timothy 4 and 12, it says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So, if it's possible that I can example it, then that means there's things I can do that others can see and say that's faith. Right? That's faith. But we're talking about fruits of the Spirit and not gifts of the Spirit. So we're not just saying that, you know, I go and I lay hands on somebody and they're healed. Oh, that's faith. Yeah, that took faith. There had to be faith involved, but we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, faith. So what is he exemplifying here? What, what can we show? How can the believers be an example? One commentary said it like this. The word here may be used in the sense of fidelity and may denote that the Christian will be a faithful person. A person faithful to their word and promises. A person who can be trusted or confided in. It is probable that the word is used in this sense because the object of the apostle is not to speak of the feelings which we have toward God so much as to illustrate the influence of the spirit in directing and controlling our feelings toward people. He's not trying to show our faith toward God. He's not trying to show that. He's trying to show our faith towards people. All of the rest of the fruits of the Spirit, these are about our interactions with one another. So he's not saying that this, this one part of it here is about our interaction with God. No, he's saying faith in this context is about our feelings toward people. True religion, commentator says, makes a man faithful. The Christian is faithful as a man, faithful as a neighbor, faithful as a friend, faithful as a father, faithful as a husband, faithful as a son. They are faithful to their contracts, faithful to their promises. No man can be a Christian, no person can be a Christian who is not faithful and all pretensions to being under the influence of the Spirit when such fidelity does not exist 
are deceitful and vain. I like commentators who say it like that. He's saying if you can't be loyal, if you can't be a person of your word, if, you're, if, you're, if your yay can't be yay and your nay can't be nay, if people can't trust you, then you cannot claim that you have faith as a fruit of the Spirit or you are faithful. Mm. Our faith and faithfulness is shown in its true importance in Matthew 25. Now I'm coming to a close here. It's the parable of the talents. Jesus is speaking a parable. He tells us about a master who leaves some goods in the hands of his servants. And he goes away. And they deal with those goods. They handle those goods while he is gone. Three of them. And he comes back. Two of them are recognized in similar fashion when he returns. It's another repeated verse. In Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Good and faithful. Good and faithful. Job well done. You did it. You came through. You did what you were supposed to do. You did well while I was gone. You were good and you were faithful. The third servant who did nothing with what was put in his hands by the master did nothing with the talent that was given to him, tries to shift the blame back on the master, tries to make excuses for his behavior, tries to talk himself out of it, so to speak. Here's where the parable shows its eternal connections. This is where we learn that when you're talking about the fruits of the Spirit, when you're talking about goodness, and when you're talking about faithfulness, that you're not talking about just take it or leave it. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, this should be evident. It should be who you are. It's not an option. And this is where we learn that. Because the Lord answers in Matthew 25 and 26, his Lord, his master, answered and said to him, thou wicked and slothful servant. And then, a few verses later, we find it even more powerfully said, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here is the eternal connection. I gave you everything you needed. I gave you the ability to be good. I gave you the ability to be faithful. I put it in your hands. And you did nothing with it. You did nothing with it. You were not faithful. You did not show forth. You did not live out faith. 
because of that, there is an eternal consequence to that. This is where we must grasp the reality of when we are talking about the fruits of the Spirit. I fear as if the fruits of the Spirit is like the last time we took it seriously was when we were in the seven-year-old Sunday school class. I fear that too many Christians view the fruits of the Spirit as just some sort of add-on, little bonus package. It's just some, some cool stuff that we get when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When the reality of it is the fruits of the Spirit are challenging us. The fruits of the Spirit make demands of us. The fruits of the Spirit are telling us God's requirements. This is what your life should look like. This is what my life should look like. To close, when Paul lists the works of the flesh, he is not intending to convey that, us, that sinners commit every one of those sins, right? He's not saying you're a sinner if you do every one of these. But if you only do eight out of 10, you're good. No, he's saying these are works of the flesh. This is what sinful behavior looks like, and there's more, he says. But when we see the fruit of the Spirit, works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. When we see the fruit of the Spirit, we see within it the ability for every Holy Spirit-filled person to live out all of them. Paul says there's a whole lot of ways that you can sin. And maybe you, maybe you do that, maybe you do that, maybe you do. it doesn't matter which one you choose, they're all sin. But the fruit of the Spirit, he says, you don't get to choose. This is not about choosing. Well, I don't want to love. I'll love, but I'm not going to be gentle. Fine, I'll be gentle. But I'm not going to be good. Right? He's not saying you get to choose. He's saying the fruit of the Spirit, the expectation is that you will be all of them. Now, that may seem impossible, but I found the weirdest. It's a common verse, but the way we get there, Zechariah has a vision of a candlestick that has lamps upon it that are continually burning. This is in Zechariah. He has a vision. And there's these candlestick, and it's got these lamps on it, and they're continually burning, and there's two olive trees on each side. And because the reason why the lamps are continually burning is because of these two olive trees, but these are living olive trees. They're, they're there. Just picture it with me. You got this lamp. It's burning olive oil, and there's an olive tree right next to it on each side. And that olive tree, while it's still alive, is just producing the oil for the lamp to burn. This is his vision. 
not reality. This is his vision. So, it's saying that there was an unending supply of oil. And because there was an unending supply of oil, the fire never had to go out. There was no need to grow the tree, reap the olives, crush the olives, refine the oil, and put it in the lamp. They were directly connected to the lamps, providing a continual flow, which is clearly something that is not within man's ability to accomplish. It's a vision that clearly shows that man can't do this. And it's in that context, at that point in the vision, that we get this well-known scripture in Zechariah 4 and 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We love that verse. We say that all the time. And we should. But understand the visual context. The reason why he's saying, look, you couldn't do this. You couldn't make this happen. It's only because of the continual flow, the miraculous flow of the oil that you are doing this. You could not do it on your own. We don't look at the fruit of the Spirit, as any work of our flesh whatsoever, it's impossible. You cannot have the fruits of the Spirit active in your life every day. You cannot do it. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We do not create the supply. We simply stay connected to the supply and the fruit shows up. When somebody gets filled with the Holy Spirit, they just gotta stay connected to the supply. If you'll just stay connected to the supply, the fruit just shows up. It just shows up. It just starts to be produced in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? I love the fact that I don't have to convince anyone that they, once they get the Holy Ghost, I don't have to say, now, you're going to have to now, let's just take the first fruit and let's just work really hard on that one for a couple years and then we'll look at the next one and we'll work really hard on that and if you work really, really hard, you might be able to get some of these fruit. No, I can look at them and say, look, if you'll just stay connected to the Holy Spirit, if you'll just stay connected to the Holy Spirit, the fruits will just begin to be produced in your life. It'll just start happening. It'll just start, the things that need to be changed will change, the things that need to be cut off will be cut off. The, everything will just start working towards these fruits of the Spirit, and the next thing you know, who you are is gonna change, who people see you as is gonna be changing. Oh, hallelujah. The perception of the world of you is going to be changed. The expectation of the people around you is going to be changed. Why? Because they're going to start seeing these fruits produced in your life, and they're going to say, that's not the person I used to know. That's not the person I used to run with. That's not the person I used to party with. That's not the person I... No, they're going to see the fruits, and all you have to do is stay connected to the Spirit. 
Stand with me, please. Amen. Everybody say the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. This is wonderful. Next week, I believe we have a couple Bible college students that are going to be taking one fruit of the Spirit each, and they're going to be sharing with us the last two, I think. Is that where we're at, Brother Brown? And then last Wednesday, whatever the last Wednesday is. I may be a little off on the timetable. But whatever the last one is, we're going to actually have one of those nights where we come. There's going to be some finger foods, light refreshments, not your meal for the night. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.